Hello and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. And I wonder, do you ever listen to a podcast? Maybe you listen to a lot of them. And for whatever reason, there is one interview and not even not even the whole interview, though the whole interview is great, but there's one part, one piece of the discussion that you find yourself coming back to or thinking about often, like it really shapes or changes or edits the way you experience the world, even in, even in a small way, even in micro moments. That's what happened for me in the time since recording this interview and sharing this podcast with you. There was a moment in this interview when the guest and I were discussing fear. Now, I don't know if fear has ever stopped you before, but his approach to fear, what he said about fear, and I say this amidst all of the other incredible insights, but in particular, a sentence about fear, for whatever reason, changed something in me. I keep going back to it almost daily uh, as I encounter fear in my life. And I am so excited to hear if you experience that same kind of change after listening to this conversation. All right, let's get to it. Today's success story is Sam Ocho. Sam Ocho is a new author, a public speaker, humanitarian, and a committed Christian, a veteran NFL linebacker who was twice a nominee for the league's Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. He has been named one of the 20 smartest athletes in all of sports. Sam has spent time with world-shaping organizations such as International Justice Mission, the American Diabetes Association, and the Clinton Global Initiative. He has lobbied Congress to change laws as it relates to justice-related issues both inside and outside the United States. He hosts the Home Team podcast, is a frequent guest on ESPN, and his brand new book is titled, Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. Sam, welcome to success. We can't wait to hear your story. I'm so glad to be here, Kendra. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, let's start here because I know, you know, in the in the life of the NFL and just humans in general, I feel like people are moving all over the place. So where are you right now? Like, where do you call home? Yeah, right. So those are two separate questions. Those okay, good. You would be complicated. <laughs> yes, yes. So right now I'm in Dallas, Texas. I'm visiting my family. I got, uh, I'm, I was born and raised in Dallas. So my, my parents are here and my sister's. Uh, my younger brother's out in LA, but a lot of my family's here. So I'm visiting family in Dallas. I'm headed back to Chicago in the next little bit. And so where I am, I'm in Texas, where I call home, it's still, up, it's still up in the air a little bit. It's still up in the air. All right, good. We'll just, we'll stay tuned to that. But you mentioned, and that's actually, I think, always a great place to start with these interviews is, right, we, we see where you are now. You're, you're a huge success. You have a book. You have a, a career that's ongoing. You know, there's so much happening was this always obvious? Like, like, were you, you know, you were born, you went to elementary school and you were like, I'm going to be this huge personality, this big NFL star, um, an activist, all these different things. Did it start that way? Sam? Yeah, it was definitely, it was the opposite. It was the exact opposite. I had no idea that I was going to play in the NFL, even be writing a book that releases in a couple of weeks. I had no idea that I'd be doing the work I do in the community. I had no idea about, I won the academic Heisman Trophy uh, for college, right? The number one award you could win. I went to the th- I went to the number one international business. I mean, I didn't plan any of this. Yeah. For me, it was a story of just walking through the next open door. That's kind of what, that's, that's what my journey and my transition has been like, this deal of, okay, here's one thing, the door opens, go to the next thing. And that's kind of what it's been. Do you remember, um, 
because I think back on my life and I think any of us, if we were to think back to some of those like really early days or even, you know, like middle school, high school, but um, I can think back and remember specific open doors that I walked through. Can, can you tell us one of those specific open doors, a, a moment that you remember that you're like, I'm going to walk through this one and see what happens. Yeah, well, it was my junior year in high school. And mind you, I, I'm going on my 10th year in the National Football League. You don't look a day over 22. You know what I'm saying? I'm, and I just turned 32. And so I, most people don't tell their age, but I'm celebrating. I'm 32 and I'm excited. It was yesterday and was your birthday. Happy birthday. Yes, birthday. yes. Yeah. Thank birthday. you. Thank you. Uh, so, so junior year in high school, had no hopes, dreams, or goals of playing professional football. I decided to go to a football camp at the University of Southern California. Mind you, my family and I, we grew up in Dallas, Texas. My brother, who's younger than me, was a big football fan. And at that time, USC was the school. It was the school to go to. They had three or four championships in a row, and they had amazing players, amazing coaches. My brother hears about this camp. We decided to take a family trip out to California. My brother, my dad, and I, just the three of us, my sister stayed at home. And we go to this camp at USC. We show up to this camp, and we didn't realize it was an invite-only camp. And we were not invited. And so talk about open door. They let us in the camp. I think they saw I was a bigger kid. My brother, they let us in the camp. We show up. It was an invite only camp. We weren't invited. Not only was it an invite only camp, it was their top 300 camp, meaning the top 300 student athletes from the, forget student athletes, athletes from the state of California were there at the school to do this camp to show what they could do. I show up at the camp with 300 other people. At the end of the camp, it was a two-day camp. At the end of the camp, me and five of the 300 players get called up to the coach's office. And essentially, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially offers us a scholarship on the spot. So talk about open door. I didn't even want to go. I just went because my little brother was going. And, and we weren't even supposed to be there. And for whatever reason, God had just opened up that door. And then so USC offered me. And then, and then, and I get into this a little bit in the book as well, and, and let the world see you, the book I have coming out in a couple of weeks. USC offers me and other schools hear about it a few weeks later and I start getting boxes of letters from schools all around the country to go play football in college. So that, my friend, was the open door. Okay, I have so many questions to so many questions to ask here. First of all, number one, how did you feel? Like you you walk up to the camp, you're like, Hey, you were here for, and I'm thinking junior in high school, we're all so like self-conscious. Awkward and, and weird like, and all the things. And, and you don't want to do anything wrong because, you know, like that would just be. So you walk up, do, tell me about walking up. How did you feel? Like, what did they say when you just showed up and are like, like, what did that moment look like? I can just, I just can't, I, I want to picture it. Yeah, so we walk up, we show up, we pull up, we find find some parking. We, <laughs> you know, and my, my parents are not, my dad's Nigerian, right? We're Nigerian, so we, they know how to just kind of, just, make something happen, right? Find a parking spot, find, figure it out. Yeah. We walk up to the, to, the, to the table and there was a couple student athletes who were already there, a couple younger kids, 16, 17 year olds who were already there. And I'm looking, I'm seeing them, them signing a name or registering or something. And I'm like, uh, I know we didn't sign up for anything, but I'm like, well, maybe, maybe my dad signed us up. So, so I'm going, I'm going. And they're like, hey, can we get your names? And mind you, they're looking us up and down because they see we were pretty, you know, big, you know, good size 16 year olds, right? I was pretty tall, pretty big, pretty fast. And they're looking and they're like, we don't, we don't see your name on the list. And I'm like, oh man, here we go. We came all the way to California just to be rejected. And I don't know what my dad said. I don't know what the heck happened, but for whatever reason, after they flipped through a couple pages, uh, they just said, you know what, guys, just go ahead. What, what they wrote, you know, most people had numbers, right? You know, track meets and things like that. They have these what? already printed numbers. They just wrote ours on with permanent markers. With a yes. Sharpie. With a Sharpie. And we show up and I don't know what to do, but I know like I love people talk about leadership and all these words. I just felt like I wanted to be, I wanted to show my stuff. If I'm going to show up, let me at least try and be good. And so I was at the front of the line trying to just make sure they didn't kick me out. That's really part of the reason. <laughs> and, and I go through these drills and I play defense. So my job is to try and beat the offensive lineman, right? You're doing like one-on-one drill. You're trying to beat him. I play defense. I was doing the one-on-one drills. I did pretty good. I went to the next drill. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, Kendra, they called me back to go do that drill again. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe they found out we're not supposed to be here or maybe I messed <laughs> up. Kicking you out. You're right, they're kicking us out. And I thought they were kicking us out. Well, I go back, I do the drill again and come to find out after I do that, you know, the drill for a few minutes, I walk back to meet up with my initial group and I asked the coach, I said, hey, what, what happened? Why am I doing this again? 
They said, hey, you did such a great job the first time. We wanted to call the head coach, Pete Carroll, to come and watch you do those drills. And I said, well, did I do a good job? They said, oh, it was unbelievable. Don't even worry about it. And so we finished the camp, and that's when the head coach, Pete Carroll, calls me and five other guys to his office and says, hey, Sam, we love what you did. It was unbelievable. And this is obviously was our top 300 camp. It was really impressive. They said, here's the deal. We have another camp coming up in about a month and a half from now, right? Another 300 people are coming. We really, really like what you did. But before we offer you, we want to see what those other 300 people do. I said, okay, well, what is an offer? What are you talking about? How are we? How do we <laughs> like, I just showed up for camp. I thought it'd be a fun right. two days. <laughs> right. I thought it'd be a fun two days to get, get to get some good weather in California. Well, well, he says, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll call you in the next couple of weeks. And so I say, thank you so much. I start walking out the door and then I stop. I say, hey, coach, I forgot one thing. In two weeks from now, I'll be in Nigeria because my family and I, we do medical mission work every summer. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be overseas. So if you call and I don't pick up, it's not because I don't like you, right? It's <laughs> yeah. because I have no service. I'll be overseas. This is back in 2005, six, right? I don't have any, I don't have any cell service. Yeah. Sam, don't worry about it. We'll be in touch. Well, fast forward two weeks later, I'm in the airport. I get a call and it's none other than Pete Carroll, who's the head coach of USC. And that's when they offered me the scholarship. And crazy enough, I said no. I, I mean, so let's, that was the next question. Um, that was the next question I was going to ask is like, and the one before it is, I feel like there's, I know that you, I know so much of what you talk about and I think it's so important is faith. And I, I mm. do feel that like, we've been, for those people that do have really big dreams, we're, we're kind of told to edit them a little bit, like only X percentage of X percentage of the top of the top of the top, make it into the NFL. And, you know, so, so don't expect that that's, or, you know, like what, so did you, I mean, here you are and you're getting, so the fact that you even get this call and then to say no, like, was that a hard choice? Like, that seems like you're testing the open doors at this point. You're like shaking them a little bit. So, so tell me about that. Yeah. So you talk about open doors and talk about faith and talk about opportunities and talk about dreams. People have dreams, but oftentimes we don't, we don't live up to them. And I talk about this a little bit in my book, but even in life, I had, I didn't necessarily have a dream to go play professional football. But I just know when God opens up a door, nobody can close it. Yeah. And so it just seemed like this door had opened up. I had been asking for weeks, really months, for my coach, uh, who was a computer science teacher, a seventh grade computer science teacher, to put my highlight tape on this recruiting website. I wanted to do it my way. Hey, coach, there's this website. It's called Rivals. Put my tape on there. And for whatever reason, he, he hadn't done it or hadn't got around to it or whatever. Well, I go to this camp I'm not supposed to be at. God opens up a door. I, I I am in the airport getting ready to fly overseas to Nigeria at 16, 17 years old to do medical mission work. Mm-hmm. And the phone rings there. And, and, and you would think that that was the open door. And I was supposed to walk through it. But for whatever reason, I don't know if some people who listen on, on this podcast are people of faith, but just something in my spirit wasn't sitting right. I don't know how to explain it. Just something didn't feel right about saying yes to that door. So coach offered it. And, and there were a few things. There was the idea of uh, they, they had promised that I'd be a first round pick automatically and it's a guarantee. And if I just put on, put on 50 pounds and you'll be this, you know, change positions and all these things that sounded good. But I was like, I don't know about 50 pounds. I don't know about first round. It's not a guarantee. I know there's got to be some work. Yeah. And so they made me all these promises that I knew weren't all the way true and so when they wanted me to they wanted me to verbally commit they said sam we're the on the phone 16 17 years old in the airport they wanted me to verbally commit to their school and i wasn't gonna and and they was a a pressure tactic hey sam the offer may not be here when you get back with this that we're the cream of the crop you said we were your dream school all you have to do is tell Coach Carroll that you want to be a Trojan. A few simple words. Just say, I want to be a Trojan. The U- University of Southern California, Trojans. And so the recruiting coordinator gave Coach Carroll the phone, and, and he had told me, just say those words. I want to be a Trojan. I want to be a Trojan. And I said, wait, but, but, but. And he said, here's Coach Carroll. Gave him the phone. And I said, you know, we, we small talked for a little bit. And finally, I said, Coach, I would love the opportunity to, to one day, consider 
the potential of maybe being a Trojan coach. I got to go to the plane's taking off and I hang up the phone. And so, the, yes, the door was opened. And yes, I said no. But I said, just because I said no doesn't mean that I didn't believe, believe the dream was going to happen. I still believe the dream was going to happen. I just felt like that wasn't the right time or situation. Yeah, so, I go to, go, so I go to you Nigeria. Had to have, you had to have even stronger belief to say no than it takes to say yes. Saying yes is easy. And I think that, and, and then I want to hear about, you know, what you were about to say, but I think this is so important because I think that it's really easy to think that the decisions on the path to success, um, when some of these, that, that it's obvious that they're easy, that you should just, that it's a yes, yes, yes thing. And, and how important it is for people to hear that here's the this is the team, like this is the, and that if it doesn't, if something isn't right, um, that it's okay to say no, that that isn't necessarily, it's not always a yes. So I think that is, I think people, um, there's a, there's a, there's a misunderstanding there that causes people to, their paths to be much longer than they need to be. So, okay, so you go to Nigeria, well, no, I love that. I love the point you made. It's a steal of, of we don't have to, to run through every single door. People think, okay, if I want to be successful, I have to do X, Y, and Z. And this person did X, Y, and Z. So if they did it, then I'll do it. Then but that's not how it works for everybody. Some people's journeys are different, mm-hmm. just like mine. And so for mine, mine was different. I said no. And I didn't say no thinking, yeah, I'm going to be the man. I got better opportunities. I said no just because I, I couldn't find it in myself to say yes. Yeah. And so I go to Nigeria. We do our medical mission work. No phone, no service, no nothing. I was just serving people, just helping, serving, doing my thing. And I get back, I get back, land in Newark, New Jersey. My phone turns on and all of a sudden it starts vibrating, starts buzzing, buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. I had 50 missed calls, 30 something messages. What had happened was teams had heard that USC had offered. Oh, and by the way, that coach who hadn't put my highlight tape on that recruiting website, for whatever reason, he happened to to put it on that website while I was overseas. And so I got a call from my, my high school coach and said, Sam, I don't know why you're not picking up your phone. I don't know where you're at. Call me back. Your whole world is about to change. And change it did. Wow. I just, I just, I love that. And yeah, I wonder, like, what was it that made him decide to put it up there? But I think that's also, there's a nuance in that story, too, that like you, you're like, hey, I know that this tape needs to be out. I know that this is a, that this is, and you can push and push and push. But sometimes it isn't about the pushing. It's it's about the it's about the pull. It's about the door. You know, like that's. And I think that's really important. That's an important nuance to to pay attention to as well. So ah, I love that. I just I love that. Um, I do want to say we, we there's so much to talk about, but you've mentioned it a couple of times, and I do really want to make sure that we spend some time talking about your book. The book is called Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes, which, and by the way, um, you know, I myself am, am an author. The cover is amazing. It just looks so, it's so excellent. So bravo, that title, um, that subtitle, all of it, excellent. Um, tell me about that. Like that is a, and let me see the title again, Let the World see you which that in and of itself is one thing and then how to be real in a world full of fake so so sam i want you to tell me a little bit about this book as a whole because i don't see it as a book i see it as like a really important message um so so tell me about this yeah it really is it's for me it's it's a message that i think people need to hear about what it means to be seen so even when you talk about story and success, and, and I love how we started this about digging deeper into the stories behind what makes a person a person. And for me, what makes me me, it's not just the ups, it's the downs, it's not just the good, it's the bad, it's not just the joy, it's the sadness, it's what makes us human. And so this book was really birthed out of not necessarily the highest moments of my life, but also some of the 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 tough times. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote the book, started writing the book the year, the, a few months after, a few weeks really, after I got released from the Chicago Bears. So I played for I played for the Bears for four years. I was going on my eighth year in the NFL and I just signed a, a massive contract and things were going good. And you would think, man, this is the success story. You did it. But yeah. for what, 
I did it. I did it, right? I've, I've achieved what everyone hopes for. And for whatever reason, things on the inside weren't sitting right. It almost goes back to that thing in my spirit. Like, man, what is going on? I just didn't feel something, you know, even relationships weren't weren't going well. And I just, you know, with my marriage, I got a wife, I got three kids. I wasn't really loving them the way I, I knew I could. And I get released, I get injured, all these different things happen. And it just felt like I was being, it really felt like, Kendra and anybody listening, it felt like after signing this massive contract, you know, during training camp that year, we were expecting our third child. We had, you know, my wife had our, our third child. We are so pumped. And then 12 hours later, I was sleeping in the hospital with, with my wife and, and I wake up and there's a room full of doctors and nurses pushing on my wife, trying to, she's screaming in excruciating pain. She was having blood clots and they didn't know what was going on. So they had to go do an emergency surgery on her. A few weeks after that, I, I lose my starting spot. A few weeks after that, I, I tear my pectoral muscle and I am out for the season. A few weeks after that, one of my mentors, Jerry Price, who we talked about a little bit earlier, you and I, uh, he, he passes away. Mm-hmm. A few weeks after that, my wife's wallet gets stolen. If, and that's a, a month or two before our five-year anniversary. We're supposed to take this trip to South Korea. It was great. And, and a few weeks after that, my house floods. And so I really felt like, honestly, I felt like I was in the middle of this, like a snow globe. You know, the snow globes that you shake and you shake and you shake. And I felt like all the world around me was just moving and shaking. But I felt like I was right in the palm of God's hands, if that makes any sense, right? So imagine someone holding this snow globe and it's shaking, it's moving, all the things around you are going everywhere. But I felt, for lack of a better term, secure. Concurrently, at the same time, I also felt like there was a story, a book being written in my life, but I didn't have the opportunity to turn the page. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I t- you heard about everything that happened. We can go into more detail later, but I ended up going on that trip to South Korea. It was supposed to be for my five-year anniversary with my wife. Well, she couldn't come. I was going to go speak at a, I was supposed to go speak at a, a, a business school and do a football camp. Her wallet got stolen, her passport got stolen, everything. She couldn't come. And so I go by, and she says, you got to go. You committed, you got to go. So I go, I'm ready to come back. I, I just I speak, I go to sleep. I wake up in the middle of the night and I start writing. I just started writing. And I, I just started writing about love and about pain and about fear and about doubt and about shame and all these different things. And I just started writing, writing. And so, and I, and I haven't stopped writing, put it that way. I haven't stopped writing. And so I just feel like this book was almost squeezed out of me. I feel like it was... <laughs> Just, just, you know, we always talk about, you know, juicers and all these different things. I just felt like it was just squeezed out of me. And so my goal and push down, press right, right. And so my goal is that this message of what it means to be seen and to be known. And anybody wants to learn more about the book, you can pre-order it at samachobook.com. I know we'll talk more about that, but it's just the idea of what it means to be seen, to be known and to be loved. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, as you were saying this, like, I just feel like I'm in a snow globe and being shook. And, and you're like, if you, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. And I'm like, we are sitting here. It is September of 2020. Uh, it's kind of been the last six months of our lives, really. And, and I think it is interesting, um, again, that this, this comes with your, and I have a strong faith. We, we speak a similar language here. Um, it, but it comes from that, like that, all the chaos, but feeling secure and still then being able to like keep focusing on those open doors. Um, so when you were in South, let me just, this is just a technical question because I'm curious about the, about the chronological order of this story. So when you were in South Korea, had you been released yet or were you still on the team? I was, I was, okay. So chronologically, right. So, so signed my contract in March of 2018. Okay. I have the, my wife has our, we have our third child in August. Yep. The, the day August August 18th right or August 20th the next day is when we should have another emergency surgery mm-hmm. right two weeks after that I'm still on the team but I'd lost my starting spot we traded for this superstar player uh, who like a once in a generation player two uh four weeks after that so the same season I'm still on the team but I'd gotten re- I had gotten injured at this point yeah, yeah. so I'm sitting on the bench and I'm doing rehab and I can't even uh, t- I, I'm in a sling a few weeks after that still on the team 
my is when my my mentor passes away. Yeah. Still on the team a few weeks after that, my house floods. Yeah. And then I think it was two weeks after the flood is when I get released. Oh. And then after that, two weeks after that was my trip to Korea. So I had just gotten released and I was like, you know what, I'll take this trip with my wife, but her passport still wasn't in. The, the, everything wasn't wasn't available. And she's like, my wife's from Nigeria. And so she had she didn't have her US citizenship. And so it's not like you could just run to yeah, so, no. I was like, just go to the embassy quick. Like, right, right. Well, we went there, can, and nobody knows this. We went to the embassy. The, we went to the embassy in Atlanta. The Super Bowl was in Atlanta. While we were there, we went to the Nigerian embassy to get a new passport. And wouldn't you know, their passport printer was 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 broken, wasn't working. So I said, we'll mail it to you, and and never arrived in the mail. And so, and while we were in Atlanta, while we were at the, not at the embassy, but that same weekend we were in Atlanta, that's when our house flooded back in Chicago. Oh, gosh. So it was a journey. It was a journey. So, so then after that, I get released and I go to Korea. And finally, I just got a chance just to breathe, for lack of better terms. And, and that's when all of what was inside started to come outside. You know, I think it's so, uh, and, and I'm sure, you know, we'll be, we'll be re- releasing this podcast um, in the fall. So it'll still be fall. That's my intention. But I'm sure that you know we'll we'll all still collectively be going through this thing, and and I think it's so important to remember, and you illustrated it so perfectly that your story is such an example of this. That the story doesn't make sense when you're in the middle of it. It only makes sense after. Like of course, of course, all those things happen. Those things had to happen in order for this book to get out, in order for the world to hear this book. But all those other things couldn't have stayed in place. And, and you be who you are and grow into that next level of who you were meant to be. So I love that. So, so, so again, anyone listening, if you just feel like you're being juiced right now, right? Just getting like going through and getting it pressed out of you. Uh, you just haven't gotten to, to, the, to the next chapter in the story. Now, let me ask you about this um, title. So let the world see you. I was able to read the introduction. I can't wait to get my hands up. We, I told you we had sister publishers, so maybe I can get myself a copy. Um, let the world see you. And, and then combined with the subtitle, you know, that the real you. Um, and, and so even in the introduction in the first chapter, it's very clear that, you know, that and everything that we think about of the NFL, you know, the NFL is one thing and, and it's many things, but, it, but it's a thing, certainly. And you are clearly this, um, you're not exactly the NFL mold, you would think, from the inside. And so I would love to hear how, and you can even share some of the stories that were in the book about your journey or some of those moments where you chose to be the real you and maybe not necessarily the you that everyone else was expecting. Yeah, that's the struggle. So many of us, especially in this day and age with social media and the pressure of performance, we, it's so hard to be real. It is so hard to be real. And we, a lot of us pretend. And there's some benefits with pretending. And I I talk about this often. I say, pretending will get you in the door, but being you will open up doors you can never imagine. There are benefits. Doors may open when you pretend. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem with pretending. The problem with pretending is that, number one, like masks and, and disguises and the things we portray, they're hard to keep on. They're not comfortable, right? It's really hard to keep them on. But then the problem is, let's say people love you for the you that you are not. And then now that love, yeah. right, right. Now that now you're being loved and it's not even the, the real you. Now let's say people don't even like that person. Let's say people hate that person. It's like, okay, at least if you're going to like me, like me because I'm really me. If you're going to hate, but it's like now it's just you're, you're stuck, you're trapped. Yeah. And so the title, Let the World See You, there were moments, whether it's in football or in life. I remember for me, one of the, one of the, coolest things about playing in the NFL is that we get a chance to to go to training camp and fans get to come and they watch they, even people who couldn't afford to go to games can't yeah. afford tickets they'll come to training camp they'll stay hours and they'll watch you get a chance to sign autographs for them and so I'd go afterwards and I'd just I would try to sign every single autograph just because I saw some older older players do it and, and more prominent at that time they were more prominent I said I could do the same thing and so for me I would stay for hours like usually an hour and some change signing autographs and it got to a point where I would I would start walking back to the locker room and, and my teammates would be already showered and changed and dressed. And like, Sam, what were you doing out there? And I was like, well, I was just talking to some of the fans. Like, dude, why are you wasting your time doing that? 
we have, I'm, for lack of better terms, different, more important things to do. Why are you spending so much time getting to know all these people who some of them probably just want your autograph? And I was like, well, that's just me. Yeah. That's just me. I love getting to know people. And, and, but the issue was that I didn't always think that people wanted to get to know me. I thought they wanted the, the football player, the football star, or the, the, the high IQ guy, the, the guy who had all the answers. I didn't know if they really wanted me. And so I would pretend. And in locker rooms, I would pretend. I remember growing up, I would, you know, there were times where I, would, I was getting made fun of, get talked about, and I would go, to, go, to, go and hide. You know, I went to a, a youth service. I was 13, 14 years old, and, and it was a predominantly black church that I went to. And anybody who knows black people, they'll, they'll roast you. They'll get on you for your clothes, for your whatever, right? And this is kind of like a cultural thing. But I grew up in a Nigerian household. And I went to an all-white school, so I wasn't really comfortable in that environment. Yeah. So I remember getting roasted, and, and they were laughing about my clothes and my shoes and whatever. And I didn't know what to do or how to feel, so I just went to the bathroom and I just sat there. I just, I just hid. And I talk about this in the book that oftentimes, you know, in the NFL locker rooms or in our businesses, there aren't, there aren't bathroom stalls necessarily to hide in. But oftentimes we fight, we hide in ourselves. We don't show people the real us. And so my hope, my desire for anybody who would read this book is that they would understand that they are worth getting to know, and not just for the things that they've done, but who they are. They are worth getting to know. I, and the, I do, I feel like we edit ourselves so much or we make assumptions that we know. I mean, maybe you look at the flip side of it. We make assumptions that we know who that person wants to know. And they want, they, they want to know this other, like we can't make those assumptions either. Cause that's really then making an assumption about the other person that they wouldn't really understand us or, and that's, that's not fair either. Um, do you remember any of those? Okay, so, I mean, we all have our journeys. We have our two steps forward and three steps back of, of being ourselves. Was there a time that you were yourself? You're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be me. And then, and the response wasn't great. Um, and you, you almost questioned it or, or maybe you didn't question it, but do, do you have one of those? And again, I haven't read the whole, and, and the book comes out October 13th. You can pre-order it anytime before that. But do you have, do you have any of those stories? Because it's not an easy, that's not an easy path either. Yeah. Well, for me, there were a couple of stories, even specific to, to, to football. And I know some people may resonate, but even think about it in your, in your, whatever you do for a living, there was this time where, cause I can be reserved. I can be a little bit reserved, right? Outgoing, but more, I'm, you know, not necessarily aggressive per se. Right. But there was another side of me that wants, it's a go-getter. I'm an achiever. I'm a competitor, all these things. And so, and so, that side of me started to really come out, not only in games, but also at practice. And I remember getting into a, a pretty heated argument with, with the head coach, because we were doing some drills. Imagine like you're bought, like the CEO and you're just a worker. And it's like, you were wrong, like you were absolutely wrong. And I can't believe, and, and I knew he was wrong. We were doing some drills and I'd beaten the guy in front of me, right? We're supposed to do one-on-one drills, like just like back in, in high school. Yeah. And I beat the guy and the coach said it was, he said I lost or he said it was a tie or something. And, and he had been doing that time after time after time. And I didn't know why he was doing it, but I knew it wasn't fair and it wasn't just and it wasn't right. And I said something. And I said, I got in his face and said, Coach, that is unacceptable. Who do you, th- how could you, how dare you, know, how dare you? And, and that's, and I say that's not me, but there is a side that, of me that, that is me. Yeah. And I remember like getting in his face and, and uh, my, my position coach, right? So imagine like your direct manager, your direct report pulls me aside. And he's like, Sam, I was like, coach, Sam, coach, Sam, (laughs) Sam, not the time, not the time. And so I actually went back and I apologized to the head, to the head coach. And and maybe, maybe not, that's maybe that's not why I'm on the team anymore. I'm not neither here nor there. Uh, No, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Injuries happen. But, but I remember going and apologizing and realizing that, okay, there are, there are pieces of us that not everyone is ready for. And so you sometimes have to be a little bit selective of who you share yourself with. And that's not to say to hide or to pretend, but you can't give everything to everyone. You have to have their people in your corner, people who care about you, people who you care about, who you can share life with and they share life with you, right? And so um, 
letting the world see you and being real in a world full of fakes doesn't mean you expose all of your trauma to everyone in the world no that trauma isn't for everyone but it's not just for you there need to be people in your world who you can share with I and I love what your your coach said I I think this is so because you're so right I I think people see this as so black and white like either either you're being this you're being super closed off or you're you're supposed to put everything out there and to each their own I suppose but I love that your coach said now's not the time. And, and that maybe, you know, that that was a facet of your, and I feel like that was probably an expression of your passion. It was completely congruent with, with who you are, but maybe right then at that moment, whether it's the time in that relationship with that person or the time right there on the field, maybe it would have been better served as a conversation instead of a yelling match in the, you know, up in the office, that idea of um, now is not the time, but I do, I, I don't hear people say that enough that it's yeah. Like, like letting the world see you doesn't mean running around naked all the time necessarily. Right. Interesting. Huh? So, and and even to that point, Kendra, he didn't say, Sam, stop being you. He didn't say, Sam, stop showing passion. He didn't say, Sam, that's not, that's not good. I don't like it. He said, Hey, now is not the time. There is meaning that there is a time there's going to be a time it's just not now and so letting the world see you and being real in a world full of fakes and being authentic and vulnerable right there is a time but it's not every time and there may not be it may not be now it may be tomorrow next week next month next year it may be a journey like it's been for me but it's uh, it's that message i love what you said about now is not the time but hey it's it's not to take away from your passion and who you are Right. And I do think, and, and you mentioned earlier, just in the world of social media too, and everything, everything, there's just always, we're always, and we get this sense. I get this sense that, that there's urgency, that if I have something on my mind, that it's my responsibility to, to say it right away. And, and instead, I like this, that it gives you a little bit of permission to, to digest it and to, um, I think about uh, my son got a rock tumbler for Christmas, which is a horrible gift. If you're a parent, because that thing is so loud, like it just, but he got to <laughs> put the rocks in it and they tumble until they, until they smooth and they're just um, ready for the world. And so, so to take a little bit of time and that's a really, I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I'm, I want to ask you something and I don't know if I can. So because, well, and this could be just like by definition that I don't know all the language, but I read when I Googled you, because that's what any good interviewer does, Googles, um, that you are now a free agent. I don't know what that means. So does that mean that you aren't with the team right now? Yes, that means I'm not with the team right now, but it also means I haven't officially retired. It means I'm in transition. That's what it means. Okay. Can I ask you, how do you I'll preface this question because I feel like a lot of us feel like we're in transition right now. Um, I primarily, my work was as a keynote speaker. So I would be on the road 60, 65 events a year, like always gone, always. And it worked for me. And it was what I was called to do. And it was, it was meant to be. And then of course a pandemic hits and groups of more than one person can't get together unless they're however many feet apart. You, you know, the NFL is dealing with this on their own level. Um, and, and I felt a little bit like I was kind of free floating, you know, like I had, I'm not officially retired, but a little bit in suspension. Um, so I wondered if you had any, and if you'd be willing, this, this came out of the blue. I wasn't, you know, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that, but I would love to hear from a fellow person in transition or, you know, how you're doing, how that feels, any thoughts you have. Yeah. I love that question. To be honest, Kendra, anybody listening, I'm I'm choosing joy. I'm choosing joy. And I use those words very intentionally and specifically. It's not that transition isn't scary. Transition is really, really scary. It's not that um, living in a, in a pandemic when you don't know what's true and what's not true isn't scary. It's not even that even just some of the racial stuff going on in America isn't scary. All these things are heavy and it can be scary and doubt and fear and discouragement continue continue to creep in but i am choosing joy yeah i'm choosing joy i'm choosing to be thankful for the things that i have i'm married 
I have a beautiful wife. I have three beautiful kids. I have, you know, even even opportunities to to be able to encourage people with the book, with speaking about the book, even just to to have peace. People kind of don't value peace as much, but to have peace within my marriage, family, relationships, uh, right? We got a, we got a place in Chicago that we have now. I mean, there's so much. We got some, you know, a, a couple of rental properties. We're trying to figure out the real estate thing, right? There's there's so much at 32 that I have to be grateful for and thankful for. Um, got an MBA. I mean, there's so much. And and there's a side that would say, well, man, you don't have a job right now, Sam. You're not on an NFL team. You're not working. To be there's so much that would want me to be discouraged in that, but there's also another piece where it's like, well, dude, I get to promote my book. Yeah. I get to talk about my real passion. If I was if I was on a team right now, I wouldn't have any time to talk about looking. Yes, I may be signed in tomorrow, in a week, in a month, but let me enjoy the day. Let me choose joy today. And so when I'm doing how I'm doing, as you asked, I'm doing well. I'm choosing joy. There are ups, there are downs, but yeah. uh, I'm, I'm choosing to be, to be joyful. I, I, when you said that, that was, and I do think it is important that choice, like choice implies active like it's 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 a participation there's there's because you can choose it or you can choose not to or or you can just not make any choice at all and that isn't you know it's not like oh I'm just it's not a flippant statement like this is you wake up in the morning and you're like I there's a there's a there's a lot of heavy stuff right now I can focus on that or I can choose this other thing and I know for me I know for a lot of the um the incredible achievers that we've that we interviewed for this podcast. This is this is a recurring thing that this you don't get to a certain point, and oh, can you hear? I live next to a church. Maybe you can't hear it, but but the bells are the bells are going off. But you don't get to a certain point, and then suddenly it's smooth sailing like that. Joy is a choice. Um, I think that's a really important message. So. All right. Let the world see you. Anything else that we need to know? Any other big messages or stories that you want to share that people can look forward to in that book? Anything that we didn't talk about here um, that, you know, we want to get out there early? The biggest thing I I would love for people to know is that especially people who, who, who go after success, because success is a good thing. People think, well, I'm just going to be average. No, like go after your goals, dreams, your desires. Like they're putting you for a reason. They're not by accident. Don't hold back. Don't, don't. Marianne Williamson has a quote, and it's oftentimes attributed to Nelson Mandela, but this quote about um, why, about how like, it's, 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 it's not that we're afraid of failing. It's like our successes we're afraid of. We're afraid of that we are powerful beyond measure. And my ask to anybody I talk to is that you would not be afraid to achieve. You wouldn't be afraid to achieve it. And I say that to say, not that achievement is the goal, but it's part of the journey. It's part of the process, whatever goals or hopes or dreams or desires or passions or likes that you have, go after them. The answer is inside of you take control of your life. And that's also not to say that, well, God's not in control and things don't happen. There aren't outside influences. No, but there is a choice. Kendra, you talked about it. We all have a choice. It's not just a flippant, uh, just, I'll just roll the dice to see what happens. So I'm going to choose to be joyful. I'm going to choose these dreams. I'm going to choose my goals. I'm going to choose to be thankful. We all have that choice. And yes, there are certain restrictions, whether it's time or uh, relationships, but there is a choice inherently. When we all understand that, we inherently have a choice that we can make. Um, the freedom that you'll you'll experience is is, is boundless. Yeah. I think about you know we we started this conversation with uh, open doors and I've often thought of it. It's felt like um, running down hallways and all the doors you know all the doors are closed and you just start n- knocking on them and you you talk about those restrictions which are true like oh I can't. Right now, it's like, oh, now I'm homeschooling my children and I wasn't planning to do that. Or, oh, I lost my job and I, you know, what, whatever it may be. And so, oh, so you, okay, yeah, you can't go down this hallway, but there is this hallway over here that's adjacent and you can start knocking on, and you might be knocking on a door, knocking on this door and none of those open, but then all of a sudden you catch that there's a, you know, there's light underneath that other one and then you go open it. Like that is, again, it's that active participant in, and then also, um, 
you know, even in the introduction in the first chapter of that book, I felt so moved when it really was like people want to know you, they want to see you and to not be afraid of, of sharing that. And, and you tell the story, I wanted to give you a chance just to um, mention your dear friend and mentor, Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry Price. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so (laughs) I'm actually, it's funny. I'm doing a, I do an Instagram live series and, and I'm doing it with his wife tomorrow, his wife, Judy, and she's 70, little over 70 years old. I think, you know, she's 75. So she'll appreciate that. She'll appreciate it. Yeah. So Jerry Price is a dear friend of mine. He was a next door neighbor. He was a mentor. He was, he was, he was a lot to me. And I remember, you know, I'd go to his, his house all the time and just sit and listen and, I remember seeing a message on Facebook from him asking for permission to go. I don't know what he was talking about. I was trying to understand it. I know he had been battling cancer and I know it wasn't getting better. My wife and I, we've been supporting him. We've been praying for them. We've been doing whatever we could financially to try and make sure they were okay. And nothing was working. He'd try treatments in America overseas. Nothing was working. And I see this message asking for permission to go. And so I call him and I say, Hey, what's going on? And as he, as he answers, you could tell he was only at about 20% of the strength of his voice left. And at that point, I say, well, Jerry, give me what you got. Whatever advice you have, you know, I go to your office all the time. You know, I go to your house, give me what you got. We were next door neighbors. And he says, Sam, he says, I've lived on this earth almost 70 years. He said, there's two things I've learned that are the most important things you could do on this earth. He says, number one, and he's a man of faith like like you and I. He says, number one, get to know Jesus intimately. God takes no greater joy than you getting to know his son. Get to know Jesus intimately. And you will get no greater joy. It's It's mutually beneficial experience. He takes joy, you take joy. Get to know Jesus. And he stops. I was sitting there like, come on, man, what's next? You said there were two things. What's that? And he says, the second thing I want you to know, he says, Sam, you are worth getting to know. Never forget that. You're worth getting to know. And those would be the last words I heard from my dear friend. I was uh, on a Tuesday and we had practice the next day. And and mind you, I just had that injury. So I was just doing rehab. And I got a call from another friend who said, have you heard about Jerry? I said, yeah, we talked yesterday. He said, oh, it's gotten worse. You may want to go and visit him if you haven't already. I said, well, I've got practice. What do you mean? I've got training and rehab. He said, I'll, he said, oh, how about this? I'll, uh, I'll give his wife a call tomorrow and see how they're doing. I'll stop by. And so he, he goes the next morning, which is a Friday morning. He has his wife, Judy, call me. And apparently in the days since, he had slipped into a coma. Mm. So Judy calls. He says, hey, Sam, uh, Jerry, if you want to talk to him, he can hear you, but he won't be able to respond. Mm. So he gives... She gives Jerry the phone and I slip into a lady named Jen Gibson, our our team nutritionist and sports dietitian, her office, a lady who I was actually leading Bible studies with her and other guys on the team, right? I was this big, bad leader in Bible studies, the whole deal. I go to her office um, and I just start talking to Jerry saying, thank you so much. And, you know, the Bible talks about like, when we die, you know, Jesus will say, man, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? When you honor him. And so I told him, I was like, man, you have nothing to worry about. You're going to a better place. And I hang up the phone. I just hear him breathing. I hang up the phone and I just start crying. Start crying. And Jen was in her office along with one of her interns. Her name was Abby. And another young lady who I was leading these Bible studies with. And I'm the guy who always has it all together. And I'm just crying, crying, crying. She puts her hand on my shoulder. She says, Sam, no one is going to be mad at you if you go and visit your friend who was about to die. I think about people who, who, who are achievers and want success and, and, and all these good things. Oftentimes we sacrifice so much. We sacrifice friendships, we sacrifice relationships, we sacrifice our time. There's so much we sacrifice. But when this friend, Jen, told me, she said, no one's gonna be mad at you. Hey, your achievement, your goals, they're still gonna be around if you go and you visit your friend who's about to die. And so uh, 
I look at her, I wipe some tears away. I, I, I walk out of the office, I see my coach, my direct report, and I say, coach, I gotta go. I gotta go, I got a friend who's not doing well, I gotta go. And he says, Sam, go right ahead. So I go straight to the airport. I tried to buy a flight on the way there. It was, you know, I couldn't buy the flight. I go to the airport, buy a flight at the airport, get on the plane, I land. And by the time I get there, I just missed him, right? He had just passed away minutes before I get to go see him. But Jerry had a twin brother. Jerry had a twin brother named Terry. And it's funny, Jen, before I left, she said, don't worry, you're going to be able to see your friend before he, before he goes. And so I go, and though I didn't see um, Jerry, I, I sat with Judy and her whole family. And I saw his twin brother, Terry. And I got a chance just to fellowship with them and their family and realize that these things that we fear, whether it's failure or death or misfortune, yes, they are real, but man, there's something better on the other side. There's something better on the other side of our fear, other side of doubt, other side of shame and pain. There's something better. It's the transition that we fear. We talked earlier about, I felt like there was this book being written in my life, but I couldn't turn the page. Well, now the page has been turned. And now on October, October 13th, let the world see you is, is going to come out to the world. And people are, are already buying it and pre-ordering it in the droves and, and their lives are being changed by it. And it all came from this thing that I feared. I feared failure. I feared getting injured. I feared not being what people considered a success, but now I'm going to be more, I've been more successful in, in what I feared than what I haven't. And so my last message is my point. The whole point of this whole story is, is run to fear run to fear don't run away from fear don't hide don't be ashamed run to it and address it and watch what happens when you come out on the other side it may not all happen at once right now is not the time yeah yeah now it's not time but there is going to be a time yeah i mean we need that message now more than ever i really that was beautiful Thank you for that. For me, sitting here, just the two of us, and and when the rest of when the rest of our audience gets to hear it, I know they'll they'll feel it too. And of course, the book, October thirteenth, um, it comes out. Let the world see you, Sam. Where else can we find you if we just can't get enough? If the book isn't enough, we need more. We need more. Where can we find you? Yeah. So social media, uh, any 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 social media, I'm just at. The Sam Acho, T-H-E-S-A-M-A-C-H-O, The Sam Acho, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the whole deal. Uh, also, any information you want, go to samachobook.com. There's links to some really cool videos there. Obviously, places to order the book, uh, some behind-the-scenes content, content that no one else is getting. Um, yeah, so samachobook.com, that's social media, at The Sam Acho. Well, the Sam Acho, this was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and we'll be cheering for your success. Thank you so much, Kendra. We'll see you soon. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at kindrahall.com or on Instagram at kindrahall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time. <laughs>